0: Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of First Gen Failures. We're really happy you're here today. We're going to be tackling a very interesting topic today, I think. This one's pretty unique and very applicable for the times, I feel like. We're going to talk about how five different countries, Singapore, South Korea, the US, UK, and Spain have handled COVID and, you know, the brighter side of a world in quarantine. So, to start with how the different countries have handled it, we've seen a bunch of different countries across the world just handling it in such crazy different ways and getting very different results. So, we're going to start with countries that have very small amounts of disease penetration or small amounts of deaths per million people, and we're going to move our way up to countries that are looking not so good. Singapore. Singapore, has about 3.42 deaths per million people right now, which is really, really good. That You know, that's a very small number of deaths. They did have contact tracing rollout with a Bluetooth app that launched nationally in March. So they were on top of it from the get-go. They started with their contact tracing. They got the ball rolling. And initially, there was strict quarantine for those that are imposed, but now they have really strict stay-at-home orders. Currently, the government is paying all COVID-19 bills in public hospitals, The total stimulus that they gave out to the public was twelve percent of their GDP. So they really just kind of went all in. They did the contact tracing and they did the um, stay-at-home orders that were super strict, and they gave a lot of um, government support for public hospitals and stuff. So this ended up working really well for them, you know. But that doesn't mean that it's going to work for every country because Singapore is a very small country and it's very isolated. It's kind of in its little island and was able to handle things really well. So. Let's look at the next one.
1: So in South Korea, there were five deaths per million people. And that's also pretty good. I mean, it didn't get too far because they had contact tracing, just like um, Singapore did. But instead of just phones, they did credit card data, GPS, and just surveillance overall to make sure this wouldn't spread. Um, As soon as they heard about quarantine, it was strict lockdown, social distancing, but most businesses are just starting to reopen now, as well as schools. So they haven't been open, or they've been online, but now they're starting to open. And government gave 25% of their GDP to help their citizens. It's pretty forthcoming, and they're pretty on top of it, too.
0: Yeah, and South Korea is also a fairly small country, so it's also reasonable that their really intense efforts were able to make a pretty good outcome, like they only had five deaths per million people. I think that's really good, and currently they're in the process of reopening and stuff like that, but now we're going to move on to the U.S. We've kind of bashed the U.S. for the way that they've handled things, so let's just go do a little deep dive on what they've done. Currently, the U.S. is having about 221 um, deaths per million people, and... Their contact tracing was very weak. It was by private companies like Apple and Google who started creating apps and programs on a very state by state basis. Um, I know Apple put out this contact tracing thing for like um, iPhones, and it's not even supported in all states. Like Florida, I know, still, I don't think it's up and running yet. So they've had a very scattered kind of approach to this, and it's you know seven seven months since March, so I don't know when they're even going to get on that. But for social distancing and quarantine measures, we had moderate state home orders, again, on a state-by-state basis. And currently, these state at home orders are lifting also on a state-by-state basis. So very scattered, right? Which is expected of uh, such a federal system, but very, very scattered. Our total stimulus was only about 14% of our GDP, which for a country this large, you know, it it needed to be a little bit more because we're so, like, just vast and such, such a big country and As for healthcare, we had $180 billion go to hospitals and the healthcare sector to cushion this loss of revenue. And that's about all we did. You know, we didn't really go all in on some things like South Korea and Singapore, like how they went all in on that contact tracing. We didn't really do that. We kind of let private companies do their thing. We kind of did a state-by-state thing. We kind of threw it all to the governors to decide and to the mayors. So that's the way that the U.S. handled it. And they're having quite a bit of deaths per million people.
1: Yeah, I do agree that it was basically a governor thing more than just a federal thing, which probably shouldn't have happened considering how many deaths there are. But now moving on to the UK, Um, they have around 450 deaths per million. So we're getting worse and worse. And they didn't do much with contact tracing at all. So um, U.S. did have private companies attempting, but... um, the UK had NHS testing with the Bluetooth Bluetooth app and it didn't really work. So after that, they just haven't really had any more advancements, but initially they did have strict police enforced stay at home orders, but now it's not really like that anymore. It's kind of just moderate stay at home orders, but all non-essential businesses are closed in order to prevent the spread of this infection. Um, Similar to the United States, it has around 21% of its GDP going to government economic support. They did donate $10 billion to the National Health Service. So they did a lot in terms of healthcare. They did provide a lot of money to make sure that people who were in debt because of corona were relieved of their burdens. And money wasn't a factor in ensuring your survival, which it never should be.
0: Yeah, so they kind of went more... In on the the quarantine measures for sure they had the police enforce stay at home orders and stuff like that but we still ended up seeing a lot of cases from the UK so you know what can we point fingers at for that not really sure but currently they're having a good bit of disease penetration and lastly we're going to look at Spain who's having about 550 deaths per million and is our most extreme example for today they were looking to use an app but I'm not really sure if they even got around to it they initially had really strict police enforced state stay-at-home orders, but currently, they have a four-phase plan to reopen the country, and they're currently preparing to open up small businesses. So they've definitely loosened up on that front. Their total stimulus checks were 12% of the GDP, and for healthcare, they paid 2.8 billion euros to regional governments for public hospitals, and 1 billion to the Ministry of Health. You know, they've tried, I guess, but just not enough. They also went a little heavier on the initial response to it. Like how the U.S. was really minor in its initial response to the virus, they really went in on their initial response um, for police enforcement, but they still ended up having a lot of disease penetration. Maybe they just didn't give enough stimulus checks to families, or they didn't um, invest enough in the healthcare. You know, these are the mysteries that we're really trying to look into and see why. Why are there such stark differences? I mean, population density is certainly a factor, but a the resp- country's response—is surely incredibly important.
1: So now that we talk about how some countries dealt with COVID, we kind of want to talk about the brighter side of it in such a stark world where you're just at home all the time trying to do what you can to prevent the spread of it. And sometimes we get so caught up in ourselves that we don't notice that there's bigger things going on. So starting with the environmental side, we see that there's, there's a drastic difference in traveling. We can see that there's been um, less pollution in the atmosphere. There's decreased levels of CO2 and the ozone is really starting to patch up again.
0: Also, because of this quarantine, we've seen a lot of animal adoption centers be cleaned out because a lot of people are like, well, if I'm going to be staying at home this whole time, I might as well just take on a couple more lives to save, right? So just a couple of specific examples of the way that the environment is really benefiting from this. The waters of the canals in Venice, Italy have been empty for so long that they've turned clear enough to see the fish and even dolphins have returned to those waters. Nitrogen dioxide over China has dropped with the coronavirus quarantine. And in San Francisco, which is under shelter-in-place orders to control the spread of the coronavirus, the average concentration of fine particulate matter, or the tiny particles in the air that are really dangerous because they can be breathed very deeply into the lungs, was almost 40% lower than the previous year. Like 40% decrease in that concentration of fine particulate matter that is really harmful for your lungs.
1: Yeah, and something else to note is that in New York City, there's a 28% drop over the same period of time. And in Seattle, there was a 32% decrease. Um, Los Angeles' decrease in smog has made skyline clearly visible. And that's um, really something that hasn't happened in a long time. Um, I know that we were talking, me and my family were talking about how in India, there's like less smog and um, people really have been like, wow, like we can breathe so much better now. Being You saw the pollution that was there before, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So obviously we have, a very good example
0: of what can happen when you know this kind of mass production slows down or when there's um, all this bustling travel of just like human activity slows down how the world kind of almost regenerates a little bit and how we should really try to find a solution for that pretty soon because once corona clears up i doubt any of this is going to stay so i hope we find something to do about that but what are some of the personal ways that you have um okay so but there's also a brighter side of quarantine in our own personal life I have a question for you Tricia how has your life just
1: you know gotten a little better because of quarantine well I remember um the week before spring break was like exams central junior year like I had exams every day Um, I barely had any time to sleep. My life was chaotic, switching between school, lacrosse, dance, whatever I had to do. So after, you know, learning that I wasn't coming back to school my junior year, I sat down and, like, really, my life became a lot less stressful. Um, I didn't have to worry about... Um, going to school 24 seven and making it online was just so much easier in terms of like transportation and everything. I really got to sat down and think about like what I was grateful for and everything else. Like taking a minute to breathe and coming to terms with the reality of the world allowed me to not be so desensitized to information. Like I really understood the true effects of wars going on and political activism and all the Black Lives Matter movements, I sat down and educated myself and learned about how it could be a bigger part of it I even like found an internship willing to do stuff with that which is so cool I know I wouldn't get this time if I had to go to school 24-7 in person but also socially too like I realized how caught up I was with like this friend that friend like what who was doing what what was the drama going on like I just wanted to be in it but like sitting at home made me realize like it doesn't matter and like how you never really sit down and think about yourself. Your whole life is a constant cycle of like seeing this person, school, home, lacrosse or whatever sport or anything you do. You're always doing something. You never really get time to sit and just think. And I got to do a lot of that. So I feel like I know myself better. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's something that
0: I don't think we would have gotten otherwise if Quarantine didn't really happen. We were kind of forced to sit with ourselves for a very extended period of time. Me personally, I can truly tell you that I think that I'm a different person after this quarantine. I really just don't remember how I was before all this happened. I feel like I've learned so many things that I wouldn't have otherwise. I've honed my cooking skills, I've started gardening, doing yoga, running, weight training more, and I discovered what I wanted to major in in the future. And I even started a podcast with Trisha. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> I can't even believe that all these things like weren't a part of my life before. And although it feels like time has not at all passed since March, I feel like I'm it's about to be April. Like that's honestly what it feels like to me. Yeah. Um, although it feels like this time has not passed at all since March when this all pretty much started, I have to realize that it's been seven whole months and a lot, a lot. Of character development can happen during that time. And sure, you know, my senior year might not be the same as, you know, any other senior year in the past, but it's very unique and eye-opening in its own right. And I think that, I, I mean, I wouldn't really, I, I would trade it for a different senior year if, if I could prevent all these deaths of people dying from the virus, but I just think that it's, for me, as someone that is fairly unaffected by the virus and is only subject to A couple months in quarantine, I've found the brighter side to it. And I wish that it was possible for everybody. Of course, it's not. But I think that if you're this blessed, we can actually use our voice and make differences
1: during this time and just use it in a better way. I agree. So like really looking at the brighter side of things, like it does suck that we don't have a senior year. It does suck that we can't see our friends and hang out in large groups and go to football games and stuff like that. But in another words, like there are some things that like you know, have been taken away from us, but also some things we've gained. And I think that if you ever feel like, like sad, I guess that you don't have a senior experience or even just school experience at all this year, remember what you've gained, because that's what I think of every time I get upset. And it really helps because it's like, you've spent so much time doing what and you start thinking about what you've been doing. And I don't know, it just makes me feel better. Yeah. So moving on to
0: our social news of the week. I can't believe this isn't all over the media, even though it probably is to some extent, but there was a right-wing plot to kidnap the Michigan governor, a domestic terrorism plot in our own country. Despite polls showing the longstanding approval of Governor Whitmer's handling of the coronavirus, she faced some really awful criticism at protests staged by conservative political groups that were even indirectly supported by Republicans in their state legislature. Under her leadership, Michigan moved from a state with the third highest number of COVID cases per 100,000 people in April to the bottom third in October. But regardless, 13 men from a white supremacist group, the same ones that, you know, Trump failed to denounce (laughs) infamously in his debate, were arrested by the FBI on Thursday and charged with attempting to kidnap the governor. This militia group's plan included firebombing police vehicles in the basement of a vacuum store in Grand Rapids. I think
1: that's literally insane. Like, um, I haven't seen this anywhere on the news, to be honest. Like, I think it'd be talked about more, but it's really not. But this is literally like a domestic terrorism plot. Like, how? why is this not talked about? One of the men, Croft, called their plans a symbolic stand against tyranny before the November election. And knowing that Governor Whitmer is a Democrat, the right-wing extremists were not very happy about this and her high approval rates. Um, The investigation began early in the year when the FBI was alerted to social media forums that they were discussing tax on law enforcement. They had chemistry sets and components of her homemade bombs. They um, tailed Governor Gretchen Whitmer at her summer houses in Michigan. Like, it was... It's kind of scary, like... That must be
0: a little bit awful. But, I mean, I'm glad that the FBI got on that
1: and did something about it. This kind of shows the polarizing results of this election. Like, I don't know if it's just because, like, I'm of age now, but... I've never really seen like people be so divided between um, political groups in an election. And the fact that this is one of the outcomes of the two opponents of the 2020 election kind of scares me. This isn't just a domestic terrorism plot. It has to do with the election in general. Yeah, I know Ezra Klein, if you know who that is, he wrote a
0: really good book about um, how American polarization has like increased throughout the year. So if you're actually interested in that, you should read that. It's a pretty good book but anyway thank you so much for listening to our episode today i hope that you enjoyed it you can always find us on instagram at first gen failures if you ever need to reach out or just to follow us and see us announce any upcoming episodes which are always released on fridays at six o'clock a.m eastern standard time thank you so much for listening and we hope you have a great day bye